welcome you. Glad you're here this morning. I know some of you are coming um, as part of, or planning to be potentially part of a church plant that we are um, in the process of launching over the course of this summer and fall. And we're glad that you've made the journey out here. Uh, I, I Personally, I want to let you know that I'm humbled that you're taking the time to come out to be part of what's happening here in hopes of being part of something, part of a new work, uh, likely in fate. Uh, we cherish your time this morning. Thankful that you're sharing it with us. You may not be here for that reason um, this morning. It may be just your first time. You may live locally and you're looking for a church home. I want you to know that you are welcome. This is, um, we, we see ourselves as a family. We know each other. Many of us have known each other for years. But we're hoping in this moment that maybe your first time or first of a few times that somebody will reach out to you and let you know that you're welcome because you are. Um, we are thankful that you're sharing your time with us this morning. I want to share before we get into our message, before we pray, in fact, our prayer will be in light of what I'm about to share. Uh, the Crosspoint leadership has prepared a statement in response to the recent Supreme Court ruling on same-sex unions. And we felt like we wanted to share this. We weren't prepared to share this last week because we were, I was on vacation. The three of us weren't able to collaborate on our statement that we wanted to prepare. So um, some of you have wondered where we're standing as a church. This is where we're standing as leadership. First of all, the sky hasn't fallen. The kingdom of God is just fine. And in fact, according to what has been promised us and told us, it's, it's actually advancing. Um, God defined marriage a very long time ago, and though the Supreme Court is the highest court in the land, it is ultimately not supreme. Second, all things work together for good for those called according to his purpose. We believe that all things means all things, that God has a purpose for his people in this time to shine brighter as it grows darker, to be salty and seasoned and aromatic in a culture that's growing spoiled. It is an appointed hour to be true, loving, faithful, and steady. It's not a time for over-the-top protests. It's also not a time for silence. We should be prepared to give an account for the hope within with gentleness and respect. Next, it is indeed a new level of darkness. We don't want to act like and imagine that things are just the, the way they've always been. This is a new level of darkness, darkness like we've not experienced. This decision, I believe, we believe together, will be the Roe v. Wade of our generation. The sin of homosexuality is celebrated like no other sin at no other time in recorded history today. While it is a sin like any other, it is not like any other sin we know of that's being so celebrated and condoned as it is today in our land. Next, we want to clearly communicate that we believe that homosexuality is a sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
We believe the scripture for what it says that those who practice unrepentant sin, it's a healthy list there. It's a robust list. According to this passage, unrepentant, practicing sinners will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's plain the way it reads. Homosexuality, too, we need to consider is the alpha illustration of depravity from Sodom and Gomorrah all the way over to Romans chapter 1, where Scott was last week. There in Romans chapter 1, it is the dark backdrop for the good news that's then presented in chapters 2 through the rest of the book. The cool thing is, though, verse 11 of this passage I just read says, and such were some of you. That's the hope that we have as the church in a dark context, as such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Such were, past tense, some of you. No sin is too vile. No sin is too accepted or celebrated. No sin is too depraved to be unforgivable. The blood of Jesus is that powerful, and the message of the gospel is that effective that it can and has made it so that such were some of us. Amen? Man, let's celebrate that. So, next... We love others, not by accepting unrepentant sin, for tolerance is not love. Hear me say that. Tolerance is not love. In fact, if anything, you may be loving yourself more than anything because you don't want to step into a hard, difficult place. Tolerance is not love. We love others with the gospel and good news of forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. This loving truth might be administered over a cup of coffee at Starbucks or in a workspace or wherever good conversations may take place. However, it may take place here in a corporate worship gathering on a Sunday morning. We at Crosspoint believe that what is taking place here right now and what takes place each week is primarily for equipping the saints, but not exclusively. We believe and know that this may be the place where people may show up who are seeking Christ maybe for the first time. They should be unrepentant sinners who are seeking Christ, who gather with us, should be and will be treated with love and respect. Same-sex couples or even practicing homosexuals are welcome to gather with us on Sunday morning. Hear me say that. They're welcome to gather with us on Sunday mornings to come hear God's word preached, to come taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, we will not, however, invite unrepentant sinners to the Lord's table. We won't do that. We also will not accept unrepentant sinners who are in ongoing, unrepentant, hear me say that, sin, to become members of of Crosspoint Fellowship. And we also will not marry same-sex couples, whatever it may cost us as a church. Our Constitution and bylaws have always stated that marriage ceremonies are performed at the discretion of the pastor in accordance with the laws of God. We are well protected 
And our God has led our elders and trustees to begin to put protections in place long ago to guard us from some of the scary possibilities. So this isn't a surprise. Christ's kingdom and his church will be just fine. Our country, on the other hand, needs prayer. Hubris is the word that comes to mind. Hubris is what was demonstrated by the Supreme Court and our country's leadership in redefining something that God defined, that civilization has said is true for thousands and thousands of years. We should be and will be praying for our country because the hubris is frightening and shocking. So we'll pray for our country, but we'll be a steady people because empires rise and empires fall, but the kingdom will move on and march on healthy and growing like a mustard seed and leaven at times, small and almost invisible, but ever advancing. Let's pray. God, first of all, we want to pray in light of what we've just considered. It is a profoundly dark moment in our context. God, I am personally grieved. We are grieved as a people. And at the same time, we, while we're grieved, we are settled knowing that nothing happens, happens apart from your perfect will, that you've allowed this to happen. And that if there's a darkness that's developing like none we've experienced, then it's an opportunity for us to shine brightly, to be salty and aromatic. Lord, I pray that you will equip us, guide us, give us words calm our spirits and our nerves so that we will be a people corporately, collectively, and as individuals and as families and as couples, as workers who are able to give an account for the hope within with gentleness and respect. God, we pray this will be a time actually of growth and health for the church. God, we pray though that you will give us your words, give us your heart, Give us love for those who don't know you. And we're thankful that we have ample message, life-changing, life-giving, life-altering message to give. God, we do pray for our country and the heartbreaking decision, the pride and almost arrogance at redefining something that you've defined thousands of years ago, that civilizations after civilizations for thousands of years have called something that we just on a, a vote are calling completely different. God, we place our country in your hands. We are thankful that although we have a chance yesterday to celebrate our country, we recognize that even great countries come and go. We're thankful that we're part of a kingdom that does not fail, but yet we do lift up our context. We lift up our country. We lift up our leadership, Lord. We pray for heart change. Pray for conviction. We know and believe that the king's heart is like rivers of water in your hand. And God, we pray that you would turn the heart of the kings, turn the heart of the Supreme Court justices, turn the heart of the president, turn the heart of other people who are celebrating right now so that they'll be convicted and see that your design has been transgressed. God, we're thankful that we can place this big, massive issue in your hands. 
God, also this morning, we want to pray for something more local, pray for another church, and we pray for Mount Olive Missionary Baptist Church, for Slack and Betty Brown. We are thankful for a brother and his wife who have given themselves to your service and your ministry, for a sister church, Lord. We are thankful for a shared ministry in a, in a community. Lord, we pray for Slack right now as he likely is either preparing to preach or is already in the throes of it. Pray that he is unpacking and exposing and setting loose your word. We pray that it is equipping the saints for the work of service to be salty, bright, and aromatic in our context. God, we are thankful for shared ministry in our, in our community. Lord, also this morning we want to pray for believers that are facing real persecution overseas at the hands of ISIS. God, we pray that they will be faithful to the end. We pray that they will be overcomers thankful that you will offer them and give them the crown of life on the other end of their faithfulness. God, we turn this time over to you and we entrust it to you and pray that you would guide us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We will probably email out or um, post that on our website or something, that statement that I've read this morning, if you'd like a closer look at that. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, please. Excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1. We haven't got to two words yet. If someone were to ask you how you're blessed, I hope you would have ample ways of answering that question. Likely, the people that are sitting next to you or the people that come to mind as family members, friends that are close would, would be on that list. Hopefully, for the most part, a health would be on the list. If we're healthy enough to sit here today and hear these words, then we're healthy enough to say thank you. Hopefully you would have the chance to say thank you for provision, for food. Likely none of us have been without food for too long. Hopefully you'd have a nice, healthy, robust list of blessings. But my hope these last couple of months as we've been preaching through this big first sentence, or almost the entire first chapter of Ephesians, is that we would have some things to go to and grab to list as blessings that are spiritual things that are so big that they actually come to the top of the list, even above health, even above provision, even above family and friends, things that are eternal, that are guarded in the high court of heaven, things that come from God, that written from a guy, and here in Ephesians chapter 1, from a guy who sits in prison. My hope and prayer is that we would together be equipped with a bunch of blessings that travel from den to prison cell and everywhere in between that we would have a list of, in the fifth one we're going to consider today, a, a list of five very robust spiritual blessings that would travel from the doctor's office where you may get some terrible news to the workspace and everywhere in between where you may just be about your routine, mundane job from day to day. My hope and prayer is that this passage would equip us with that. Today, as I said, we'll be considering the fifth of five spiritual blessings from this first chapter. And for the sake of context, I'm going to begin in verse 3. And I'm going to spend about a minute, half a minute maybe, on each of the first four blessings. But we're going to spend the rest of our time on the fifth. Let's begin in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us Past tense, done deal. We have already been blessed with what he says here in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. These five things Paul considers to be an exhaustive list. 
every spiritual blessing is listed here, according to a guy sitting in a prison cell who doesn't have a bunch of physical blessings. He makes a beeline to these five spiritual blessings and calls them every, every spiritual blessing from a guy in prison. Here's the first of those five in verses four through six. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. This is the first of the five. This is referring to the Father's choice. It makes the top of the list. He chose us in him. The Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. This is something to be celebrated. This is something to be treasured. It's not based on merit or performance, which we should all really celebrate and enjoy, because otherwise there would be no one here. It's not based on aptitude, performance, or merit, but based, according to this passage, on the purpose of his will. We at Crosspoint are not of the modern bunch that doesn't want to touch this truth. We are part of the ancient bunch that's celebrating this, however difficult it may be for people to make sense of. We celebrate it. We will not avoid it. We will not ignore it. In fact, we will celebrate it with Paul. The Father's choice should be celebrated. It's a spiritual blessing. The second one is in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. On into verse 8, which he lavished upon us. The second of this list of five is the son's work of earning redemption and forgiveness of sins. We are, as we celebrate together this truth, by faith, trusting Christ, we are a bunch of liberated slaves. We have been one through Christ's work. That's something that we celebrate every time we gather. And that's a wonderful spiritual truth. The next spiritual truth is on into verse 8. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The third spiritual blessing that we considered from this passage is the Father's gift of wisdom and insight because of Christ's work for the purpose of understanding Christ's work. As it says, wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will. It's a blessing that he's opened the eyes of our hearts and given us insight into what he's up to in Christ and, in fact, into what we have in Christ. The fourth spiritual gift is in verse 11. It's a little translation challenge here that we worked through a few weeks ago. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We spent a good portion of that Sunday morning a few weeks ago, the last time that I preached, on this fourth blessing, that we are, unlike it reads here, 
We are God's inheritance. Our translators did the work of translating. Our scholars and theologians and commentators and pastors do the work of now interpreting contextually. And contextually, this looks like what's being said here is that we are God's inheritance. That's the fourth spiritual blessing. This is a profound blessing. This blessing is the difference between a bunch of do's and don'ts that don't really travel very well and identity shaping. To see yourself as belonging to God, to see yourself as your identity is to be His, will travel into those moments much better than a do and don't. Will travel into those decision points and in those temptations much better than a do and a don't because you'll find yourself in that place saying, this is not who I am. I can't participate in this because I'm his, not because mom and dad told me don't. This travels, understanding whose you are and who you are. Today we'll consider the fifth spiritual blessing in verses 13 and 14. It's a one-point sermon. In him, this will be in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, so far, just so we can have them readily available so that we are being redundant, we're saturating this morning and saturating our minds with these things, we've considered that the Father has chosen us. That's a beautiful, wonderful spiritual blessing. That the Son has worked forgiveness and redemption for us. That's the second wonderful spiritual blessing. And that third, that God has given us wisdom and insight through Christ's work into Christ's work. Fourth, that we've become His inheritance through Christ's work. And now today, the fifth, is that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're going to spend the next few minutes just exploring this sealing by the Holy Spirit. But first, I want to take you back to the passage. We're just going to sort of unpack some of these phrases here. First of all, it starts with, in Him. Each of these five spiritual blessings are tethered to Christ. And this one is like the other four. In Him, that's speaking of in Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth. In Christ, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Each of these is tethered to Christ. You find no spiritual blessings apart from Christ. Look at the anatomy of what unfolds here. It says, you heard the word of truth. Look at the next phrase, but beyond the gospel of your salvation too. You believed in him, and then you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You heard, you believed, and you were sealed. You heard specifically the gospel, the good news. You can listen to last week's message and hear how Scott presented four things. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. You heard the good news that God made you, that you fell in Adam, but that you don't need Adam to be guilty if you're like me. That we're all sinners but that Jesus has paid for that sin and by faith that we become his child. Trusting in Christ that we become God's child. Man, you heard that news and you believed and you were sealed. You need to recognize that first of all, there is no hearing or there is no belief apart from the hearing. And there is no sealing apart from the believing and the hearing. These things are all consequent. They're connected to one another. 
I want to spend a moment first on the hearing. I want you to realize that when you come on Sunday morning, you're not coming just to get your church on. For years, that was my mindset about church is we just go to church because that's what we do and I need to go get my church on. But it, eventually, I got to the point where I think through the book of Ephesians, the Lord showed me that I'm actually being equipped for something. And it's something that Christy and I had conversations about. What is Sunday morning? What are we doing in Sunday morning? When I'm in seminary, I'm thinking, what even is this? It's a moment where we are equipping the saints for the work of service. The pastor teacher is equipping the saints for the work of service. You need to realize you are being equipped to then go tell and share and teach and preach a message. Week by week, you're not just coming and getting your church on. You're being equipped for something. You're being equipped to share because this message that we are walking in, that we've been on the receiving end of, that we want to offer to others is an audible message. It's an audible medicine. It is a vocal, vocal and audible experience. The whole saying, you may have heard this saying before, preach the gospel and when necessary use words. It's really kind of dumb because the gospel is a spoken, audible, vocal experience. Romans chapter 10 is a passage worth looking at. Turn there. I think it may be the only satellite I have for you this morning. Romans chapter 10. I want you to see what unfolds in this passage beginning in verse 13. If you have a pew Bible, actually I don't have the page number for you. My, I have a different Bible and my page number doesn't match up with the pew Bible. So you're on your own, but there's a... There's a uh, um, not a dictionary, what do you call it? Table contents in the front. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, we're talking about salvation, talking about calling on Christ, calling on, placing your faith in him and calling out to him as your savior. Look at how this, how this goes down. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Just imagine this like cars on a train. The car that's in front of this belief, or the, let's, let's put salvation at the very back. I'm, all right, I'm, I'm developing an illustration on the, on the flow here, on the fly. So we'll see how this goes down. Put the salvation car on the back of the train. What goes right in front of that is calling out to him in faith. What goes right in front of that is believing. And according to the next verse, how are they to believe in him of who they never heard? What goes in front of belief, the next car in front of that is hearing. And then what's going in front of that? How are they to hear without someone Preaching. What's in front of that is someone actually speaking it. It is an audible, vocal experience, and it must be shared. The anatomy of this hearing, believing, and sealing can't just be read and missed. For you heard it, you believed it, and you were sealed. You can't hope to win someone to the Lord without speaking it. You can and should pray for them. You can and should live the gospel out in front of them. That's what that saying that I shared a moment ago is implying. But you can't leave it at that for how will they call on him if they haven't ever believed and how will they believe if they haven't ever heard is a spoken experience. But the ceiling, let's go back to Ephesians. Turn back to that page. Ephesians chapter 1. If you've turned away from it, the ceiling, what is this thing? 
This word here in the, the, the original language is what's called an aorist tense passive verb. Aorist means that it takes place at a point in time. You were sealed at a point in time. It is a, what, uh, this is a fancy way of, of, of saying it. It is a punctiliar experience. It happens at a point in time where the Holy Spirit seals you. It's also a passive verb, meaning that it's something that's done to you. It's not something that you can conjure up. It's not something you can muster on your own. It's something that is done to you by the Lord. What it means, this verb, it means three things. To close with a seal to denote security, like an envelope. Seal that joker up. Lick it. Close it. You can trust that the thing's been unopened. It also means, secondly, to mark with a seal to authenticate. You might think about some of those old-fashioned letters that were written where they took a signet ring and some wax and sealed that joker, identifying, I wrote this, the king wrote this, or whoever seals it with their signet ring. And here's the third definition, and the one where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, to denote identification of ownership. While all three of these things are at play in this passage, the third one fits it best, and the third one is speaking to the context best. As we considered a few weeks ago, the last time I preached, that we are his inheritance, so fittingly we have been sealed and marked as this one is mine. I'm thinking about some illustrations, some of them dumb, likely all of them dumb, but hopefully they'll travel into Tuesday or travel into difficult moment where you can visualize what has been done to you. Think about a kid that finishes his schoolwork and what's the last thing he does before he turns it in? He writes his name on it. This is mine. I am marking this as mine, whether I want to or not. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. It belongs to me. Some other things that I've thought about over the years, some other ways to visualize this. Years ago when I was deployed to overseas on a, on a ship, you know, you have a big pile of what we were called, what we called sea bags, these green canvas bags that all look identical, but mine had my name on it. It was marked as mine, McGraw, stenciled on there for all to see. Don't touch it. That's my bag. That's my sea bag. Marked as mine. I had a bunch of Marines that they had their first experience at actually getting a paycheck, and when they got their first paycheck, what they wanted to do was buy that car they dreamt about. And oftentimes it was a car well beyond their means. They'd had, they saw they made this much money and it was a little bit more than what, they, what the car payment was. So they got that car and they got the vanity place to go along with it and marked it as theirs. This is my ride. Marked, signed, sealed. Think about what an artist does with a work of art, a painting or a picture, a drawing, a sketch of some sort. What does he do at the end? He signs it and marks it as his own. And this is my favorite illustration just because it's one of the few kids' stories that I really enjoy was Toy Story. Think about what little Woody had on the bottom of his boot. Scrawled out on the bottom of that boot was the word, the name, Andy. That little toy belonged to Andy. It's a mark of ownership. So this sealing language here fits very nicely with our being his inheritance and our being marked as his. In some ways, figuratively, we can think about collectively on the bottom of our boot. This is God. We are marked 
It's belonging to him. And the Holy Spirit is that seal. He is that mark. When you heard, when you believed, you were sealed and marked as his. Now the beauty of this seal is it's not temporary. The beauty of this seal is that it is durable. This passage tells us here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, that the Holy Spirit, this seal, is the guarantee of our inheritance. I have a little note in the bottom of my ESV that you may have in yours that this phrase, until we acquire possession of it, can actually be translated, and I believe should be translated, until we are acquired as his possession. That seal is durable until he redeems it fully, until he comes to get it at the end. It is a durable mark. It won't fade. We can't rub it off. We can't paint over it. We can't scratch it off. It will last as long as it takes because it's guaranteed. This word here for guaranteed that's used of the Holy Spirit is a word that means earnest. I remember the first time I saw earnest money in action when my dad was buying a car. He took me to see these transactions and this haggling and this back and forth experience so I would know what to do someday but I remember what he did when he found a car that he wanted he showed up with some earnest money this money this $300 or whatever it might be is promising that I'm coming back for this smooth mouth pickup I guarantee I'll be back to pick it up and this $300 is proof the Holy Spirit is for us the guarantee that God is going to come get us he gave us the Holy Spirit as counselor He gave us the Holy Spirit as comforter, but here this passage is referring to the wonderful beauty that he has given us the Holy Spirit as earnest money. He's given us the Holy Spirit as the guarantee. Now, what do we do with this? That's the exposition, and here's the application. There's two things that I want us to consider, but first I want to ask you a question. Where do you find your value? This question that I'm asking, I'm okay with the sort of the pregnant pause as you're sitting around thinking, okay, he's spending a lot of time on this question because I want you to really think about it. Where do you find your value? I'm not talking about what things you place value in. I'm talking about where you find your value. What in your life makes you feel like you have value? Think about that for a moment. I would offer that we find value in many, many, many flimsy places. Maybe we find value as parents in how well well behaved our children are. <laughs> some of us may not, sorry. <laughs> but some might. Maybe you find value in how cute your children are. Of course, everybody thinks their kids are cute. But maybe you find value in how cute and well-behaved they are. Maybe, parents, you might find your value in what your kids have achieved. Any of you have kids that are old enough to have achieved some things, and you feel like, man, you feel like the rooster, chest all poked out? (laughs) Man, (laughs) yeah, I'm responsible for that when you're really not. (laughs) Maybe young people, you might find value in how many people like your Facebook posts. 
or how many people follow you on Instagram. Being real honest, where do you find your value? Maybe you find value in how healthy, fit, or tan you are, in your appearance or in your physical abilities. Maybe if you're really shallow and really honest, you might find value at times in how fast you can ride a bicycle. I don't know. I've heard about this. I don't know about anybody like this, but I heard tell that it's possible. Maybe you find your value in your net worth. Anybody? Anybody find their value in how their businesses are doing or how they're climbing the corporate ladder, how they're being promoted? Maybe you find your value in your achievements. Maybe you find your value in what you drive. Can it be something as simple as what you drive or what you might wear? We were talking about this in, in staff meeting this week, and Scott confessed that in staff meeting that he's found value over the years in what he drives. He said, and oh, by the way, I think I've had over 100 vehicles in search of value. He said, oh, by the way, that his 2004 Toyota 4Runner with 136,000 miles is for sale. He asked me to announce that. Man, the flimsy things we can find value in. We might find value in who talks to us, who's our friend. We might find value in whether our friends are famous or not. We might find value in whether or not our friends are beautiful or whether our friends are well-liked. There are so many places to find value, but compared to this fifth spiritual reality, they're really flimsy and frail and fragile. Here, though, we find our value is determined by who owns us. And we just went, consider one example after another in staff meeting as we were discussing it. Aaron Adele was sharing something that she'd just seen in the news about one of the Beatles guitars and how valuable it was compared to just the regular version of the same guitar. Just because someone had owned it made it super valuable. See, ownership develops value. Think about how valuable this little toy, little Woody was to Andy because Andy placed his name on the bottom of that boot. It was valuable enough to find it. How valuable is a nasty Spit, I don't know, spit saturated, tattered little blankie that your little kid owns. Not because it has any inherent value. The value is placed on it because of who owns it. Leave it in a rest area and I bet you'll drive a thousand miles to go back and get it. <laughs> not that that's ever happened to anybody that I know. See, the value is not in the product itself, in the thing itself. The value is in the ownership. See, here's the beauty in this fifth spiritual blessing is church family. Our value is not in flimsy stuff. Our value has been placed on us by our creator in choosing us, in redeeming us, in forgiving us, in calling us his inheritance and his people. And he's written his name on the bottom of our boot. Though we're just carbon and water, to him we are a treasured possession. That value, people, travels. It's durable. That value will sustain you when you can't pedal quite as fast as you used to. Ben McGraw, stupid stuff we place value in. 
That value travels when the kids who once made you look so great grow up and don't come around and see you as often. That value travels when you retire and are no longer the boss man. That value, this value, travels when you graduate and are no longer big man on campus. This value travels, and you see how flimsy all this stuff really is because it falls away. But this value endures. Secondly, and lastly, it's in this fifth spiritual blessing that we should find wonderful, wonderful assurance. Assurance seems to be a common conversation that I've had with folks over the years at Crosspoint Fellowship. And I think part of Part of that is because we've dealt with some of these hard truths like the Father's choice, um, election, predestination, things like that. People don't know what to do with assurance. Things that we once found assurance in sort of don't look like they're as solid anymore. We've dealt with real hard truths like apostasy, like what happens when someone falls away from the faith and leaves the church, leaves a church family. We've dealt with some really hard truths, and I've had a number of assurance conversations, realizing that people oftentimes place assurance in an emotional experience. They place their assurance in a Bible that might be signed in the front by the pastor on the day that you were baptized. See, I know I'm heaven-bound because there it says, and my pastor, Billy, he doesn't lie. Some things that we can hold on to. These promises that people have made to us, these quippy sayings, quippy sayings, like once saved, always saved. And because I'm saying that, I don't, I'm not implying I don't believe that, but I would, I would like some time with you to develop it. But little quippy sayings have equipped most of Greenville to say, I don't need the church. God and I are square. Most of Greenville is sitting at home right now. Most of Greenville is not gathering with the people. Most of Greenville has no use for gathering with God's people. But listen to me. This truth, this fifth spiritual reality, should give us real assurance that the Father's choice, the Son's redemption and forgiveness of our sins, that our being His inheritance and and His possession, that these are durable blessings because of the Holy Spirit's seal. He's authenticated it. He's the earnest money. And he's not going to default on that promise to come get us. These spiritual blessings will outlive. This is how we can take assurance. This is how we can sleep at night. That these spiritual blessings will outlive any trial you could go through. These spiritual blessings will outlive any misstep or mess that you could make of your life. Hear me say that and enjoy that. Anybody else who's ever misstepped. Man, that seal of the Holy Spirit means that it's durable. You can't even mess it up. It will outlive any difficulty you might go through. It will outlive anything that the world can throw at you. These blessings endure because of the Spirit's seal. We can and should take great assurance in God winning us. Great assurance in God securing us because of the seal of the Holy Spirit. It should help even the most troubled of us sleep at night like babies. Now, what it won't outlive, though, it sounded like there would be no caveats the way that unfolded, didn't it? What it won't outlive, though, is a departure from the people of God. 
what it won't outlive is a departure from the people of God. Let me show you something. I hope you're still in Ephesians chapter 1 there. I want you to see this anatomy of what unfolded here in verse 13. In him, in Christ, you also. This word you is a plural you. If, if we were valley gals, valley girls, we could say you, you, you guys. If we were from the south, we could say y'all. If we were from the north, we could say you people. This is plural. This blessing, this, this whole, whole long sentence full of blessings is to a bunch of you guys, to some y'alls. It's written to the church. Look what unfolds here in verse 13. In him, you people also, when you guys heard the word of truth, that's heard is a plural verb. When you guys heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and you plural, believed in him, that believed is plural, you, plural, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Plural. You guys were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In him, you people heard. In him, you people believed. In him, you people were sealed. All plurals. And in case you missed it, you may have been hearing this series of messages one right after another, including this morning as an individual, in case you missed it. Just go back to verse 3. In verse 3, he blessed us. In verse 4, he chose us. In verse 5, he predestined us. In verse 7, in him, we have redemption. In verse 8, we have wisdom and insight. In verse 11, we are his inheritance. In verse 13, in him, you people were sealed with the Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we are redeemed. See, what I want you to see here in the, enjoy the rich promises of assurance in the sealing of the Holy Spirit, but realize that sealing is plural. He sealed us. He didn't write Andy on the bottom of your singular boot. He wrote his name on the bottom of our boot. Assurance isn't $1,001 bills. Assurance is a $1,000 bill given to the church. And we enjoy it together. Man, what I want you to see is that ensure assurance and this promised ceiling is something that we experience together. At no point does Paul speak to a particular individual blessing for an individual person. These are all destined for, one for, and given to the church. The individual is never spoken of as the bride of Christ. Do you realize that? The individual is never spoken of as the bride of Christ. Us. He paid the bride price for the people of God. You think you can find assurance when you leave God's people? You've left this whole chapter 1 of Ephesians. You've left the five blessings. And you've left the seal of assurance, the promise of the Holy Spirit. So the seal that's placed on you is placed on the people of God. 
Man, I want you to see the impact of this. If you're moving with God's people and walking with God's people, then you can know, you can sleep like a baby at night that your seal is as permanent as your walk with his people. If you depart the people of God, like Paul wrote later in the Bible, that if you leave, they went out from us. For No, that's 1 John. For they went out from us, for they were never really of us. If you depart the people of God, you've departed the blessings. And you departed the assurance. Most of Greenville is ironically assured. Maybe some of you coming from Rockwall or wherever, Caddo, wherever. You may be in a context where people feel like they're quite assured of their salvation because they're placing their assurance in some things that aren't in our Bibles. And the reality is assurance is found walking with God's people. Don't let anyone tell you salvation is a lone venture. It's something that we do together. We enjoy these salvations. All these things are happening with and for and in the church. Martin Luther, John Calvin, the other reformers, man, they had a message that is every time I say it, I get a sort of a thousand-yard stare because people don't really know what to do with it because we've been so indoctrinated with this Western individualistic mindset. Their message was there is no salvation apart from the church. There's no salvation apart from the church. If you are not walking with a people, if you're not part of a people, if you're not accountable to a people, then how can you possibly expect to participate in all these we's and us's and y'all's and you guys and all these assurances that take place as we travel together? This may be my only Sunday with you. And you may feel like, man, I visited that church and I didn't like the way that guy talked. Hey, that's okay. Or I wasn't made to feel welcome. That's okay. If I have one shot with you this morning, know that we're not the only church in town and we're not trying to be the only church in town. But I encourage you, please, even if you don't like the way it's been said, hear what's been said. Read this first chapter, maybe with a new set of eyes, if a paradigm, an individualistic Western paradigm has fallen down just for a few moments where you see that these promises have been made to the church. So go join one. Man, we're not the only one. There's some great churches in this town. Go be known. Go know them. Go be accountable to them. Go nestle up there with a bunch of people that I promise you will let you down. But where you will see grace applied, where you will see blessings that are shared, where you'll be able to remind one another, hey, man, Remember those five spiritual blessings that we have that are so durable. Let's remind one another of those right now. You'll find those in the church. So if not this one, by all means, find one. Man, some beautiful blessings that we've gotten from this passage. Over the years, there have been an encouragement, especially through Hebrews, as people have gotten so troubled about matters of assurance and so troubled about, is this me? I'm going to lose my salvation. The encouragement from, from this pulpit and from others in counseling and in small groups has been, don't get off the train. Sometimes there's a thought, man, I, I, I'm so scared about this conversation about assurance that I think I'm about ready to jump. And you're like, what do you mean? Go have a seat with everybody else that's on the train. You're going to be fine because we're, we're all going to where he's called us. Don't get off the train. Now, we're going to have our supper this morning. I'm going to share a passage with you that I really enjoyed. I'm reading through a book right now that has various devotionals on the Lord's Supper, and this one was especially sweet to me in light of the spiritual blessings 
It's from Luke chapter 19. If you'd like to turn there, you're welcome to. If not, you can just listen. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. This, is, this would be Jesus entering Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Everybody remembers the story of little wee Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone, into the guest, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That verse is the key to the entire book of Luke. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save a guy like Saul who's persecuting the church. And he would then use him to write from a prison cell the wonderful truths that we've been considering together the last couple of months. He came to seek and save the short, like Zacchaeus. See, he was short in stature, but he wasn't well thought of in his community either because he's a tax collector and he's rich, and he'd been skimming it off the top. These guys were corrupt. He came to seek and save the corrupt. He came to seek and save the sick. And something we can enjoy together as a church family this morning is that we're a room full of former sick folk that he came to seek and save and that we walk in some wonderful spiritual blessings including scrawling his name on the bottom of our collective boot let's distribute the elements and enjoy this meal together which what made him so mad in this uh, little thing I just read the Pharisees, the Jews he goes to eat with sinners man that's what <laughs> do you realize that's what we're doing every week is he's eating with sinners Man, we can enjoy the, the beauty that he has come to seek and save the lost, that he has come to have a meal with a bunch of people that the rest of the world will go, <laughs> there's nothing redeeming in that joker right there. I know him. I know them. That that's the irony of the good news and the irony of the gospel. We enjoy that every single week. A bunch of Zacchaeuses. Can we take and eat as a bunch of Zacchaeuses this morning enjoying the irony together? Let's take and eat. Let's take and drink in faith. Let's continue in song and giving. Those uh, young people that are going to youth camp this week, be ready. I don't want you to come up just yet, but I just want to share a couple of thoughts. But I want you to kind of, I don't want to have, you have to get that idea in a moment. I want you to be ready to come on up here. And then the youth workers that are going to camp this week. I just, I want to share two thoughts before we pray for the, the youth and their youth workers. Um, if you want a visual of what I'm talking about this morning, when you step away from the people of God, 
uh, you're stepping away from the assurances, then I would just encourage you to read the book of Exodus, Numbers. It's a wonderful image of what it looked like traveling with God's people. And what would happen to you if you departed the sanctuary of moving with the people of God is you were killed by Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Jebusites, or you were eaten by a lion. So I mean, you want a visual. It's, not a, it's maybe kind of out of the box for you to think or maybe hear for the first time there is no salvation apart from the church. That may be a very new thought for you. It might even be a little bit alarming. I'd love for the chance to talk through that with you because paradigms, they come down painfully. But hopefully you're honest enough with yourself that if you're embracing a paradigm that's not biblical, that you want to work through that. I would totally be game to work through that with you. It's not an insult if you're questioning a sermon. In fact, it, it tells me that you are listening and you're wanting to process some things. So that's encouraged at Crosspoint Fellowship is talking through things. Life group is a great place to do that. Life groups talk through these things every single week. And uh, it, it can be bumpy. It can be vulnerable. It can be honest. It can be open. It can be all those things. So um, I encourage you, work through. If you heard something new for the first time, you're like, man, I don't know where to put that. Let's work through it. Okay? The second thing is um, I want to celebrate as a pastor, and we should celebrate as a church, that where we've spent our time in Ephesians 1 so far is if you're unable to define for someone the Trinity, that's okay. We've illustrated what the Trinity does. God has done that for us in, in chapter 1 of Ephesians. I hope you've realized that what we've considered is the Father's choice, the Son's work of redemption and forgiveness of sins, and then the seal of the Holy Spirit, the beautiful Trinitarian work there. A bunch of Baptists had a chance to get together and enjoy the Trinity. Maybe for a bunch of Baptists are going, I know there was a Trinity. I was baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but I don't really know what to do with it. Well, we enjoyed it together as a church for the last couple of months, the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We should celebrate that. All right, youth, y'all come on up. Youth that are going to youth camp, come on up here. My three, come on up. Daniel's a youth now. See that swagger? <laughs> right. We have our youth workers coming up here. A lot of our families are traveling this weekend, so we have, uh, Aaron, how many total youth are going? Uh, 35. 35, yeah. okay. And how many workers? Okay, all right, good. Well, we want to pray. Y'all are represent, representatives of them this morning, so we want to pray for all of you collectively, even though they're not here. And what we're praying for is a time of real um, community, fellowship, worship, growth, and knowledge and understanding of God's Word. Scott McCullough is going to be teaching over the course of their time. They're actually leaving next Sunday morning. I don't know if I said that. They're leaving at 8.30, so this is why this is our last chance for us to pray for them. Uh, and to send them off into this time of uh, study and fellowship. Let's pray. God, we want to just lift up these young people and are so thankful for um, young men and young women that already have an appetite for you and your word and for knowing you and understanding who you are and walking in, in uh, faith. Lord, we pray that this time that they are away, starting next Sunday, will be a time of, uh, of growth in all those areas. Pray for Scott McCullough. We pray for the other workers as well, the adult workers that are going along with them. We pray that everybody will just find just real refreshment in fellowship, uh, in song, in uh, study, and uh, that the Holy Spirit will be at work in this time. We pray for obvious things like safety, um, just that you would guard over their journey there and back and their time there. 
We pray that there wouldn't be any mishaps of anybody stepping off of a trail um, because they didn't see the cliff or anything crazy like that. We just pray that you would watch over every, every person and every um, opportunity and their time together. We entrust them to you, thankful that you're a good God, that you have already ordained wonderful things for them. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for coming this morning. Y'all can stand and be dismissed.